Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Cam Haynes, the world-famous trail runner and bow hunter from Eugene, Oregon, and the man behind the latest Speedland Footwear Commission, the GSPGH that you've heard me talk about so many times. Well, here he is. He's on the show, and Cam has created an amazing legacy for himself, pioneering a new approach to bow hunting over the course of his multi-decade career. And as you'll hear, trail running and ultra running has been a big part of that pioneering process to grow and improve as an outdoorsman since he ran his first race way back in 2005. We talk all about what makes Cam unique, his friendship with Courtney DeWalter, how his pursuit of running and bow hunting have supported one another. We talk about some of his mentors, his new media business, the GSPGH, and a lot more. And actually, there's a couple funny anecdotes about Western States race director Craig Thornley that you'll get a kick out of too. So thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy the show. As always, the Free Trail podcast only exists because of our community and our partners. If you enjoy what we do, we'd love it if you would join Free Trail Pro. Be part of shaping our future. The Free Trail community is the heart and soul of everything that we do here And as we say, trail running will save the world, and we would love it if you would join us in that mission. Similarly, we only work with brands that we love, with good people who are similarly aligned with our mission. In addition to our presenting partner, Speedland, we work with Ketone IQ, Gnarly Nutrition, and Rourke Apparel. Please visit the show notes for links and discount codes on their great products. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate you all very much. Hope you enjoy the show. Big thank you to Free Trails presenting sponsor Speedland, the hyper-performance trail footwear startup from Portland, Oregon. We are now celebrating the launch of Speedland's fourth footwear commission, the GSPGH, the signature shoe of legendary trail runner and world-class bow hunter, Speedland athlete, Mr. Cameron Haynes. The GSPGH is shipping now. In fact, all pre-orders should now be either on the way if they haven't already arrived to our valued customers. The GSPGH does have a few important updates from its predecessor, the GS TAM. Those are a lower color height on the upper, a new HTPU midsole compound that is both lighter and stronger, improving Speedland's trademark durability. We've got a revised internal midsole geometry, improving both fit and functionality, a few other small adjustments, making a great product even better. I'm still running in a proto pair of the GSPGH. It probably has over 500 miles on it at this point and still feels good as new. Premium product, but a great value over the long term. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. Cameron Haynes, you legend. Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Dylan. It's great to be here. Um, I I followed you for a long time. I follow what you do. I got a, a lot of respect for just how good you are. And plus, you know, I, when Speedland said, hey, could you make a video and kind of talk about your journey? And they sent me what you did. And I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I cannot do what he just did. You're just so polished, so smooth, so articulate, so professional. And I'm like, guys, I'm a freaking some redneck bow hunter. So 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like you intimidated me even from the get go with Speedland. So yeah, it's well, an honor to be here. The admiration is very much mutual, and that video that you're referencing was sort of a, a love song to Mount Tam, and your shoe is a celebration of Mount Pisgah. So we'll talk about that in a little right. bit. But that video is one of my favorite things that my good friend and business partner Ryan Thrower has ever created. So maybe we'll throw a link in the show notes for people who haven't seen it. But anyway, yeah, Cam, so good. Yeah, really excited to have you on the show. And uh, as I prompted you, I always ask the same opening question here on the program that's added a fun common element uh, throughout all of our amazing guests. And so I have to pose it to you. And that question is, what makes you, you? What are your unique strengths and weaknesses as a athlete and as a human being? And maybe how do they show up in your life? Yeah. I mean, I don't have many strengths. So, uh, like when I, when I, t cause I have a show too, as you know, and I talk to the outliers and people who are like the best in their field. Right. And to me, I'm trying to learn from people because I, I feel like I don't have like these natural talents. I'm not this gifted Olympic athlete or like a Courtney or, uh, you know, I've even had like intellectuals like Chris Williamson. And I'm just like, the only thing I offer is like, I can grind, I can keep hammering. That's a, the premise to what I do is like, I just don't quit. So over, you know, I'm old as hell over this long of a life. If you just don't quit and keep putting in work, good things will eventually happen. So that's, a, that's been the secret to my success is like no talent, but, um, I guess I'm pretty disciplined and, uh, I just, I just won't quit. So yeah. That's keep, me. keep hammering the Cam Haynes motto, lifestyle, and mm -hmm. philosophy. You mentioned Courtney DeWalter, of course. She is world famous and especially beloved among my audience here on this particular podcast. So I'd love to hear you talk about her a little bit because as we were just saying, she's not the type of person to brag about herself. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you two came to be connected, how your friendship has developed and, and what, in your opinion, makes Courtney so special. Man. I mean, so I didn't even really know who she was. We, we both ran the Moab 240 and I think this is in 2018 and Rogan was following me cause he knew I was doing it. And it was a big test for me. I mean, 240 miles is long ass way. Right. So he was all excited to, to follow along. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be smart on this one. I'm going to go out and be, you know, I'll always go out too fast and blow up and then just barely try to hang on. So I'm like, well, I'll try to be conservative this time. It's a long race and let's be smart about this. So I'm running and I'm getting these updates. I said, who's leading, who's doing this, who's doing that. And they say, well, you know, this, this girl's out in front by, you know, by a ways. I'm like, what, what do you mean a ways? Like, where is she? They were saying these updates, you know, and she was like, I'm like, oh, she got, there's no way she, something happened. She took, got, went the wrong way, did something. The tracker's messed up. I'm like, there's no way somebody could be up that far. Well, turns out, you know, we didn't really, or I didn't know that much about Courtney at that time. Turns out she's just like the best to ever do in the history of doing it. And, and she was way out there. She did crush. And so by the time I finished, I I can't remember what I got, like maybe 11th or yeah, I can't even remember what it was, but anyway, well back right behind her. And she was just there with Kevin drinking beer and smiling and doing what she, you know, it's kind of her routine now is she finishes like, you know, 
way ahead of everybody else and chills out and is just like is the, the ultimate cheerleader for the sport. Yeah. And so that was my first introduction to Courtney. And I, I didn't know who she was, but at that then, you know, Rogan had followed along and and then he asked her to be on the podcast because, you know, she did this incredible thing, beat everybody by God, I think it was 10 hours or yeah. eight or 10 hours. Big it's margin. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. And so anyway, that, that just kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm enamored with, with outliers, with people who just winners, right? Yeah. Cause I'm, like I said, I, I I'm not that type. So I'm, I want to try to learn from people like that. So, um, kind of, kind of got a little bit, you know, just like, God, I need to find out more about how is she so freaking good and what is she doing? And so then we just, you know, correspondence, you know, back and forth and, she loves just doing fun adventures and I love being in the mountains. And so since that time we've, you know, we've run rim to rim to rim in the grand Canyon together. Uh, I've went, you know, stayed in Leadville and we've done, you know, Mount, uh, Mount Evans and Mount massive and like six different 14, um, thousand foot peaks. And so it's just, I don't know. I, I don't even really know how to, quantify how special she or how to verbalize how special she is but uh just a one-on-one type person yeah you know and that's it's just incredible to see what she's been doing and you know it was here where we talked about she came out and we ran 100k you know before the summer and we did the podcast and as, as we know she doesn't like talking about herself um so I was trying to trick her into saying different things and she would never bite on it. But we did kind of talk about that. Hey, has anybody ever won the three big, you know, the most famous ultra ultra races in the world and yep. is in the same season. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think anybody ever has, um, but we did talk about it. And then turns out she of course did it. And uh, it's just, I, you know, I love seeing people win. I love seeing history been being made. And when it's somebody like Courtney doing it, it's just like, that feels right. That feels like those are the type of people who are supposed to be doing those type of things. Just, um, so just true. incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I'd love to point our listeners to both the podcast that you did with Courtney and also the video that you guys made of that hundred K adventure run that you did around your home in Eugene, it was either yeah. before or after you guys recorded the podcast. And I think the the one moment where Courtney's ever like celebrated her own achievements was when she nailed the, uh, the balloon with, uh, with the bow oh, in, in your, in your yeah. backyard there. So anyway, Oh, it was 101 yards and yeah, she's like running around and you just can't, you know, if you could bottle that type of energy and excitement, man, you'd be rich if you could sell it, yeah, you know, yeah. she's so pure lover. Yeah. Cool. Well, Cam, so let's talk about your experience and career in the sport. I went back and looked at your ultra sign up and it appears you did your first ultra marathon back in 2005, 18 years ago, way before trail running was cool. And I know <laughs> yeah. you originally started in the sport, hoping to use running and endurance as a way of being a better bow hunter, which is of course kind of like the main focus of your life. So take us into the origin story there with trail running and how it's been supportive of your career as a bow hunter. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
you know, I've just been in the mountains my whole life, basically. And when you're back there and you got your whole camp on your back and you're doing like, well, what I would, what I would call bivouac hunting. I wrote my first book. It's right here. It's called backcountry bow hunting. And that book was about basically just living in the mountains and hunting whole camp on your back. You're not going back and forth to a base camp. You're just out there. Right. And so I did it in the Eagle cap wilderness here in Oregon is where I started. It's the largest wilderness here in, in the state. And, uh, I, I realized quickly, if I got 50 pounds on my back for every step for 10 days, I got to be in freaking good shape. Right. And, uh, so I had done, I think my first marathon and I think 2002 or 2003. So I was 34 years old by the time I even did a marathon and I did the gorge marathon and I got third in it. It's not like some stacked field, but, uh, you know, I did all right. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. And then somebody gave me this article I think it was an outside magazine, maybe, or, or I, I can't remember what magazine, but it was about Western States 100. And I was like, wait, what is people are running a hundred miles? I had no idea. And then, uh, I'm like, okay, that seems, I didn't even know that was, people were doing this type of thing. So I thought, well, if I could run 30 some miles on the mountains, like 50 K man, I could, I feel like I could do anything hunting. Right. And, uh, so this McDonald Forest 50K here in Corvallis, it's just north of me. Um, there's a great ultra. It's an early ultra in the year. I think it's May-ish. And uh, it's a tough one, 7,000 feet and 30-some uh, miles. And so it's pretty good. It's muddy. Yeah. And I did it, and it was like I was, you know, could barely, at the end, barely walk. It was like I finished – I can't remember what I got five hours or something. It was freaking hard. And I'm running this race and I'm coming to the finish. And I was about a mile from the finish. You go down to the shelter down there. And there's these guys coming back up the trail running opposite of me. And I'm like, I mean, they looked like runners. I'm like, God, what are those guys doing? So I get down, finally finish the race, you know, finally got some soup and stomach settled down. You know how it gets. Yep. And I said, the race director there, I said, I said, I saw these, these four guys, they were running backwards on the course. What are those guys doing? They're like, Oh, they're, they're getting ready for Western. So they're, they're doubling it today. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, so 62 miles. I said, <laughs> yeah. And so it turns out it was like, there's a guy, some legends here in town, but John Tyser was one of them. And then Craig Thornley who's from Eugene here. And, uh, so it was that group. They, there's four of them that were just really good ultra runners. And yep. th that was who was running backward. backward. Now, Craig's, of course, race director of Western States. But anyway, so that was kind of like where it started with me. I'm like, God, I didn't even know, you know, freaking humans could do this shit. And here, here I'm like, can barely finish a 50K. And these guys are going to be doing 100 miles. So that's <laughs> where the, the seed was planted. Then that was the goal because it felt like to me, like, you weren't really in my head. I, I'm not speaking for anybody else. You weren't really an ultra runner until you did a hundred mile. Right. You know what I mean? That was like, yeah, they're ultras, but it's like the real, the buckles and the real ultras are those hundred mile ones. So I was obsessed with, man, can I do that? And so yeah. that's where it started. Amazing. Wow. What a great story. So I'm admittedly not super knowledgeable about the world of, of bow hunting, but I followed you for a long time also. And I think you were one of the first people to sort of take this athlete's approach to bow hunting, taking like a high performance lens to archery. 
And in that way, you've mm -hmm. been a bit of a pioneer. I mean, you just mentioned that you realized that you needed to be fit in order to do this bivouac style hunting and carry all that stuff on your back for multiple days. But where did that, that insight come from to like, make you think like, Hey, I actually need to be an athlete. And also like, if, if there's any other things like from your endurance world, being an ultra runner that have carried over to make you a better bow hunter, I'd love to hear about that. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm, I was a, I've been a pioneer as far as getting exposure to it, but back in the day, the mountain men type guys, they knew, I mean, you, if you're surviving out there, you can't be soft and overweight. And it's just like, it's, you're not going to be at your best. So, but I get, I got a lot of attention for it. And a lot of it was negative attention because the hunting community, they're like, you know, you, you've, I don't know if you've worked with people and be like, well, this is how we've always done it. So why would we change it? Right. Yep. So hunters, they didn't really want to, they weren't that excited about, Oh, you got to run a marathon to kill an elk. They, nobody's interested in doing that. Right. So I got pushed back there and I wasn't the first to, to know that being in better shape of the mountains was a benefit, but I was the first or one of the first to get it, the attention it got. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I've just learned. So I, I've always said the trail running helps my bow hunting and bow hunting helps my trail running because in a, in a bow hunt, you might be out there for over a week and a trail race, even a hundred or 200, it's not going to be a week, yeah. right? You're, you got, you can break it down. And if, can I get to this day and I, you know, get a hundred miler done, or if it's a 200, it's going to be a few days, but you know, there's a finish line. Yeah. There's no real finish line on, on the hunt. Mm -hmm. So it, to, to build that mental strength and to be able to break things down into smaller segments and, and just build confidence that I can, I can still thrive when all everything's against me, when the weather's against me, the mountains against me, I'm out of food, I'm out of water because in ultra, sometimes that happens when I, especially when I first started, I was not up on the fueling and the hydration. So I would just have to suck it up and get through and still perform and on the hunt, that happens a lot because if, you know, you're high on the mountain, the water's at the bottom, you're out because you're, you might not have water. You still have to be able to, to hunt, make good decisions. So it's all kind of helped each other. Um, and I, I, I've learned, I've taken lessons I've learned in both disciplines to help the other one. That's so, so cool. So I want to come around and talk about your new media entity, the Keep Hammering Collective here in a bit, but I've been listening to your show since it started. And I noticed that you kept mentioning a guy named Roy. So I went and looked this guy up and read some things that you had written about your friend whose name was Roy Roth. And it seems that he was a really important part of your story. So please introduce the audience to Roy Roth and what impact he had on you. Yeah, Roy, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Roy, guaranteed. I mean, you know, where I grew up, there's a small little town out, outside of where I live now, and it kind of a logging community. A lot of people worked in the woods. Um, small high school, 24 people in my graduating class. But, you know, after high school, I was always big in athletics. But after high school, I wasn't, I tried to play college football, wasn't good enough. Um, didn't have the money to stay and get good enough. So, uh, I was kind of lost and just kind of drinking, you know, I, I still liked hunting, but 
I would go to the rock pit and drink beers and build fires and just do stupid shit, wreck trucks, you know, go to the stupid clubs here, the bars. And that was kind of what I was doing. And it's like, it's not, you know, you're not going to be achieving too many great things in life if that's what motivates you or that's, that's your, um, that's what your life entails. So Roy introduced me to bow hunting without bow hunting. I don't, who knows what I would be, but, uh, Roy was, uh, very, he had, um, very faith based. He's a Christian. He was, I, I heard him cuss like one time he said a, a joke with a cuss word in it, but he didn't, didn't drink, didn't do anything. He just very, uh, a, a good influence on me and always like always believed in me, which you, you know, I, I think running is probably the same way or any field could be the same one on your way up. You get a lot of people who doubt you or want to shoot down what you've done. Um, or, uh, justify why you're successful and they're not type thing. And especially in hunting, cause it's a lot of men and it's a lot of egos. So I had a lot of detractors on the way up and, and, uh, Roy was always the one who believed in me. We went to high school together. We hunted together. He knew what, you know, the mistakes I've made, all the, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything about me. Right. And he still supported me. So me and Roy, we had the same motivation in the mountains where it's like no obstacles too great, no challenge too great, nothing we couldn't overcome. And so we were like, man, this kind of this, this team. And he moved to Alaska. Um, I went to Alaska probably 30 times hunting. We'd hunted, you know, grizzly, brown bear, uh, sheep, um, moose, everything. Mm -hmm. And just had the best adventures. We, we, the bigger the adventure, the more, the challenge, the happier we were. Right. So it's like finding somebody like that is really hard. Well, um, in 2015, he was on a sheep hunt and, uh, and he fell and died. And it was, uh, you know, somebody that a fixture in my life and some like a pillar in my life, he always would never judge me, always supported me. I could tell him anything and he'd have, great advice. He was tough. People respected them. He was a badass in the mountains, the best woodsman I've ever met in the mountains. Um, and a dear friend, we loved each other. Mm -hmm. So when he died, it's like, man, it was, it was a big hole. Yeah. It was, and it's, it, nobody can feel that, you know, we, we knew each other for God. So he died when he was 49, you know, 25 years we'd been, we'd been close. And so that's a hole that can't ever be filled. And it's just, I still, you know, I got, I got a picture of him there, picture of him there. He's, there's a picture on this table of us and it's like his legacy. I don't know. I, wow. I don't really know how, how living and dying, how all this goes together, but I try to, um, I try to, like do hunts that and and make decisions on hunts that he would if he could look down and watch he'd be like still getting it done still live, doing what we love by his example a little bit it makes me want yeah. to ask you about mentorship and stuff now cuz you're in your 50s now and you've established this massive platform for yourself you're easily the most visible person probably globally in your community i would guess and so 
you now have the opportunity to sort of pay that forward. Do you do that? Is there anything that you do to sort of help carry Roy's legacy and nurture the next generation too? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, just today I asked Rogan if he knew anybody who wanted to go hunting because there's a lot of people who, because now, you know, where your meat sourced from has kind of been like a more popular thing, right? You know, people are thinking about, wait, how, how, so this hamburger I'm eating, how did this animal live and die? And exactly. So hunting has kind of been, it's taken more popularity in that respect than just hunting, just to be a hunter. Now it's like, okay, I can, I can get, you know, wild meat from the mountains that nobody's ever touched by me. And that's, that's a big draw to people. So I still love taking people and exposing new hunters to what I do. Last year, I took Kevin Costner's son, um, Caden, on his first ever deer hunt. He killed a buck here in Oregon. And that was a young man who was, his dad's always off, you know, working on Yellowstone. And move, he's got this big movie project coming out. So he's not not home very often. So his his son, um, you know, was was going to miss out on being a deer hunter. And so I took him out and got him his first buck. And, uh, it's, there it was, I mean, I love stuff like that. I've taken, you know, with Rogan that I took him on his first bow hunt. Um, so it's like, it's not so much kids. Sometimes it's kids like with, uh, Kevin Costner's son, but sometimes it's adults who just haven't been exposed to hunting Yeah, and they see it. And they was like, they might follow me and they're like, I have, no idea even where to start. I don't know anything about anything. And so I try to be a resource for people like that when I can, you know, I mean, there's way more people out there like that, that I could help, but I try to help when I can and, and share that, share what I know. Yeah. Share the things that have changed your life with others. It's a fantastic way to be of service. You just touched on something that I wanted to talk about with you. Again, I'm pretty ignorant about hunting. I've never been hunting in my life, but I know that that conservation element is really important, especially with people like you who are really serious about it and having mm -hmm. followed you and Steve Ranella and people like that for a while, it's clear that there's like a deep passion for the land and for the animals, but like non-hunters may not appreciate that. So maybe if you could expand a little bit on that conservation ethos in the community, I think people would love to hear. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I'll say that I've changed a little bit from when I first, when I first started hunting, I just liked hunting. And, you know, the question in the small little town I lived in, well, did you get your buck this year? And so it was just like, it was pretty easy. It's like success, failure. Yeah, I got a buck, got a good one, whatever. And that was, that was pretty much hunting. Well, now I see that, you know, it's a hunt, hunting money, hunting dollars for license and tags. And just the, the money we put in is what, people goes into conservation of these lands and animals. So that all the hunting money for licenses and tags helps habitat helps. Um, I, I killed a sheep a couple of years ago in Colorado. Well, this herd was doing so good in this area. They took 15 sheep out of the herd that I killed a ram out of, and they started uh, a new, um, they, they basically transferred them to a new area and started a new herd of sheep. And now they're thriving. So that all happens because of hunting money. Mm -hmm. And if, if we want the habitat to be protected, if we want the animals to be protected, it sounds weird that, well, oh, so you kill animals and that helps the animal, but it does. It's uh, it's just how it works. The North American wildlife model is geared around hunting and putting value on animals. 
And that money then in turn goes to help the species as a whole, or even species that are struggling, even landlocking some some areas to protect certain animals that, that could be endangered. But if you look at like big game animals in the last hundred years, elk, deer, bear, turkeys, just the four big ones that people hunt a lot. Um, there's more of them now than there was at the turn of the of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So over a hundred years ago, there's more animals now. And that's following the North American wildlife model, which is funded by hunters. So, um, and I just know that hunters in general, because I've been this guy, have a greater respect, in my opinion, for life and death of an animal, or even just life in general. The death threats I get are from anti-hunters or from animal rights activists that to me they say stuff like that like you know i want to put your daughter's head on the wall like you do those animals which is what they've said to me before to me that's somebody who doesn't understand life and death Mm -hmm. for to wish death on somebody you don't know's family means i don't think you get what life and death really is Mm. because a hunter would never do that a hunter who has killed an animal and knows what it takes to survive because they've, there's blood on our hands from getting that kill and bringing that meat home and providing for our family. We don't throw out death threats like randomly because sure. we've seen death mm-hmm. and we know it's the gravity of it. Somebody who's never been exposed to that, those are the ones who make these crazy statements. So to me, as a hunter, it's not only conservation and the care of the animals and the land and, and the respect for what we do, but it's also understanding a full breadth of life and death and how everything goes together. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by HVMN and the Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketone IQ has become a huge phenomenon in endurance sport in recent years, allowing athletes of all levels to access new levels of performance. It was first adopted in cycling, especially among the professional ranks, but it's now finding its way into the running world, which is awesome and with great success. I recall seeing British ultra star Tom Evans smashing a ketone IQ as he jumped in the raft at the Rocky Chucky River Crossing on his way to victory, the 2023 Western States. Well, if it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for me. Ketone IQ was invented by HVMN to help athletes of all levels reach their physical potential by boosting cognitive performance. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know that your brain is key to performing at your best as a runner from fatigue resistance to improved focus and mental clarity. Ketone IQ can give you deeper brain power when the miles and exhaustion start to add up. This is something you really have to experience to understand. So make sure you give Ketone IQ a try. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Again, visit HVMN forward slash free trail 30 and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. There is a link in the show notes of this episode as well. Thanks to HVMN. That's really interesting. So in some ways, your experience as a bow hunter helps you better understand your own mortality. Is that right? I think so. I mean, I, you know, now, nowadays I'm older. I don't enjoy seeing an animal die. I mean, it's what I do. It's I'm a bow hunter. I understand for any human to survive, there's going to be death. And, and I don't care if you're vegan, vegetarian, for you to survive, you're causing death. That's just how it works. I mean, you can you can eat wheat bread. Every time that wheat field is harvested, there's tons of animals getting killed. 
by the by the agricultural machines that go through there. You can watch any field that's been harvested. There's buzzards circling all around it because of all the death associated with that. So yeah, you're not eating meat, but who's to say that a deer's life or an elk's life isn't more important than the the rodent or the rabbit or the the deer fawn that was hiding that got chopped up with the with the combine. I mean, a life is a life, right? So yes, your existence causes death. Hunters accept that existence and that mortality, and they they understand that. Yeah, I've seen death, and it's not, it's not easy. It's not a comfortable thing to watch, but it does give you great greater appreciation for this gift of life that we have and what it takes to sustain sustain it. Yeah, really interesting. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, I see this analog, and correct me if I'm wrong, between trail running and bow hunting culturally too, in that bow hunting as a subculture, you know, sort of differentiated from rifle hunters. It feels like a, mm -hmm. a prideful identity, you know, same with trail runners, right? Like when you're yeah. a trail runner, you feel like it's a core part of who you are. It's sort of a pseudo religious designation, you know, and something that like is really special to and a central part of our, our lives. Is there, am I touching on something there? Like what makes bow hunting such a, a unique and special sort of subculture within, you know, outdoorsmanship? I think uh, to me, the similarities between the two disciplines are it takes so much commitment to be good, to be a good bow hunter. You, I mean, I shoot my bow every day. I got to be dedicated to it. I got to know the animals or habitat, their behavior. I got to be able to read that. I got to be able to read the wind. It's like takes so much to be successful. No different to trail running. If you're going to go and run a, even a 50K, man, you got to freaking, you got to be ready, right? So it takes that. It's not just like, I mean, it'd be hard to go out and just sign up on a whim and do a hundred miler, right? But you can do a marathon. You can do a road running marathon like that. You got seven, eight hours is usually the cutoff on a marathon. You can get that done with no training. To be a good hundred miler, it's got to be almost your life. You know, your whole focus of life is that, and that's bow hunting. So to me, it's, it elevates what we do. So running is a discipline. Hunting is a discipline. Trail running is another level up from road running. Just like bow hunting is another level up from rifle hunting. To me, that's the, that's a parallel. And that's why they're special. They just take so much. I feel like to be good so much more dedication and commitment to it. And a lot of times there's not this big reward. It's not like a LeBron James where he's, you know, a slam dunk and the crowd goes crazy and his endorsements pay and he's on, you know, in commercials, that's nobody's celebrating in the mountains. I mean, you might have a few people at the end of, end of a, a big ultra, but usually not, not the ones I do. There's usually like five people at the end yeah. and, uh, and, and bow hunting, same thing. It's, it's you, the arena is the mountains. And so you do it for, you do it for you. You do it for a more pure purpose is what it feels like to me Yeah, with both. So I want to talk about your career and one of my favorite podcasts that you've done was with Kip folks, who was one of the co-founders of Under Armour and someone who mm -hmm. also seems like he's been a good friend and a positive influence over a long period of time. So to start this discussion about how you've built this platform, maybe talk a little bit about Kip Folks and the things that you guys worked on at Under Armour and how that maybe changed the trajectory of your career. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Kip, 
he's a hunter. So that helped, you know, I think Under Armour was the first major athletic brand that actually embraced hunting and kind of had came up with their whole uh, a hunting line. It was high end performance products. And they came up with the slogan, athletes hunt. And so that was a new, a new thing. Huh. And that was when, that was when Kip, Kip was there. And I was like, yes, I love that. I identified with that because I think, I, I don't know part of it was, you know, my dad was a big athlete, a great track and field coach and he never hunted. So it, I don't know if it was like, went back to, you know, maybe this is what my dad would approve of mo- more as being athletic at what I do. Um, so it was kind of a, when they came up with that athletes hunt that was built, I guess, around what I do in in some respects, it like gave, I don't know, it gave a stamp of approval for it. And not only in the community, but in my life. And so that was exciting. Kip was passionate. We still hunt. We just got done hunting together in Arizona and he's still been a great friend. He's since left Under Armour, but man, we had so much momentum going at that time where the, the Under Armour outdoor brand was blowing up and uh, it was kind of a, a cool brand and it was cool that uh, a performance apparel line because Under Armour had these sweet commercials. Uh, we must protect this house, that whole thing. It was like, they were, they were kicking ass yeah. and we were, we were kind of riding that wave and that was pretty fun. So cool. And, you know, you just mentioned athletes hunt and we talked about it at the beginning of the conversation, how you bring this athlete's mindset, this high performance lens to hunting. And you mentioned also that you were a bit of a pioneer on kind of the storytelling front. So I wanted to ask you about that too, because I mean, at least from my perspective, you were early in this new wave of like athlete meets creator. Like I'm sure you would never call yourself an influencer. And to me, you're like the anti-influencer, but like in in some ways you pioneered that model too, of like just sharing your story. You've got your books behind you there on the wall. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear where that insight came from for you too, because like now a lot of people, myself included, have, have sort of adopted a similar model within various different communities, whether it's sports or business or anything. So anyway, anything you want to say about like the storytelling element and how it's, you know, sort of come naturally to you over time and how it's supported your career? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, social media changed everything because when I first started writing, I used to have to rely on an editor or a TV producer to give me an opportunity. And if, and you know, a lot, there was egos involved in that, just like everything else. And so if they, I've had people who just didn't like me or were, I don't know if they were not threatened, but whatever, just didn't like my messaging. So I just wouldn't get opportunity. Well, and I would be frustrated because I'm like, I can write as good as this guy. I can, I can hunt as good as this guy. Just, these guys won't give me a chance. So finally, when social media came in, I was like, holy shit, I don't need anybody. Yeah. I can put all whatever, I can say whatever I want. And that was like all I'd been waiting for forever. And I felt like I was kind of biting my tongue, like trying to make people happy and do what the industry had been doing forever because I was more accepted and kind of watered down what I wanted to say. Well, when Facebook came on at first, I think it was like 2008, um, I was like, God, I can, I mean, I can reach the people myself and say whatever I want and say why this is important to me and, 
and how I feel about it. And I don't have to do- check in with anybody. And so that's, it just kind of exploded from there. And it's not like I'm, you know, uh, Kim Kardashian, but I've got quite a few people for hunting, you know, mm-hmm. that follow me. And it's just because I just share what what's important to me, share what I love. I don't really water anything down, love it or hate it. This is what motivates me. And this is why I do what I do. And it's like that, and I even I hate the fact that being authentic is even a thing now because I it's, I've said <laughs> this before that why why should we have to say oh he's he's you're authentic it's like well no shit that's how everybody should be right yeah and so it but it gave you a chance to like be authentic and get that message out and that's what's resonating with people because people are so used to this curated stuff and it's like I don't really do that too much um, I just say what I want. And it's like nowadays, this has been the perfect timing for, for me. And, um, I've seen a lot of people be successful following that, just basically following their heart or what's on their mind. And, uh, so it's good in that regard. I mean, there's, there's bad with that too, you know, there's people who take it too far, but, uh, for me, it's been, it's been good. And, uh, I don't think you can ever go wrong with, saying why you're passionate about something and why it's important to you and why you love it and the challenges associated with it, because everybody can identify with that. So it's been good for me having, having uh, social media blow up like it has. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to talk about the day job that you've kept for your entire hunting and running career, even as you've risen to international stardom, you recently left that job to go all in on a new project, the Keep Hammering Collective. And I want to talk about that in a sec, but before we get to it, tell the people what you did for a living and and what gave you the feeling that now was the right time to embrace new opportunities. Well, I never had the feeling now is the right time. So I kind of, even like went, even along this way, I've been like, God, how, I basically quit the best job I've ever had in my life. Right. I mean, a job like I had is not a job. Somebody like me quits because I didn't graduate from college. I came from the bottom up construction, got on the construction crew. I've always been pretty good with numbers. Um, somehow earned a position to be the buyer for the local water and power company. So I was a buyer for 20 years, did contracts and bids and, you know, it's just like, um, kept the construction guys, you know, with the materials they needed, took pride in that, took pride in making, everybody wants to make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to make a difference on a construction crew when you're just one guy, especially when you're one of the lower guys. So finally I was up where I could make a difference and like see these big returns. Like, Oh, I, I did this bid and saved this much for the company. And, uh, so that felt good. And then after a while, um, I'd been doing all the side stuff with the hunting and the running and doing, you know, that whole thing. But my, my obligation was to my family and providing for them. I got three kids and, you know, wife and I got to, they rely on me. So I'm like, no, this is what I got to do. I got, got to do it all. I got to do this job. I got to train at night. I got to, you know, be the best I can be bow hunting and do it all. And so sleep would sacrifice a lot, but I'm like, for someone like me, this is what you got to do. And so then I was superintendent for six years and I ran the construction crews and, and some of the engineering guys and we kicked ass. We were doing, doing big jobs, jobs over $200,000 
in the state of Oregon, you have to show that you're the least cost option. So you got to, as our public agency, we still had to be the least cost out of even contractors. Huh. So um, they audit, the state will audit that. And if you, you know, a public agency, you generally isn't like contractors have an advantage usually, um, but not for us. The guys kicked ass. And so I had a lot of pride and like, hey, we were doing these, you know, one, one to $2 million jobs, least cost saving the ratepayers. And that was fun. People, the guys worked hard for me and uh, I loved it. It was like a little adrenaline rush for me. It's like, I wasn't doing the work, you know, but I wasn't putting the pipe in the ground. But if the guys believed in me and I believed in them and we kicked ass, we were making a difference. And that felt pretty good. So to quit that job, long this is a long answer to this question, but to quit that job was a big one for me because you know I'm making shit. Like I said, for me, I, I like 120 thousand a year or something yeah. like that. I'm like, I'm never, I don't deserve to make this type of money. And then to walk away from it seemed dumb, <laughs> but I did it. Joe kept saying, "Oh, if you did the podcast, you would, you know, people would love it." And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not really not that good at talking, so. I don't know why they would love it. Quit a superintendent cool job to be a podcaster. Come on, Rogan. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I'm not exactly no Spotify deal right now, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. He's the one Yeah, negotiating his big, big money deals. <laughs> and uh, he's the one who loves to freaking talk for it ever. Yeah. I like to just go run and shoot my bow. I don't, I'm not that great at yeah. conversation, but anyway, I did it. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the brand, uh, the Keep Hammer Collective brand, so to speak, it's just been, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how how good it's been going. Uh, the merchandise, the sponsors, the, it's... Yeah, so so sketch, sketch out the outline for those who are unfamiliar. You know, I've been keeping up with it, but you've got a couple of different formats that you're using and it seems like a pretty cool new media property that has a lot of potential to continue to grow in future years. So maybe tell us about, yes, yeah, sketch the outline of it and tell us kind of goals for the future, stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing is I want to talk to outliers. I want people, cause I would say, well, I'm just normal guy and normal people like me can't talk to the best in the world at what they do. Mm -hmm. So for whatever reason, I've been given this platform and given this opportunity and these outliers, either I trick them or however I get them here, they're sitting here, right? So to me, it's an outlet for people like me, normal people to learn from legends. Mm. That's been the whole premise. So I can word things and wonder things and ask questions from some nine to five dipshit perspective that I am. <laughs> and a lot of people are nine to five guys. So it's like, they're going to identify with that message. So I ask questions that I think that other people would want to know about. And it's been, it's been good. So I, I have the people out. So just in general, um, I have the people out. We do a lift run shoot day, which is we lift weights here in my gym. We shoot a bow. Some of them have never shot a bow. And then we run the mountain. Um, and, uh, so that's it. That's a day. Sometimes we do it all in one day if they have a short uh, time available availability. And then after that, we do a pod, the regular podcast just like this, but yeah. they just sit right here. And so to me, it works well because I'm not Joe. I can't form this connection and ask these awesome questions right out of the get go. 
I do better when I know the person, when we've struggled a little bit, when uh, we, you know, went out there and, you know, it's like you form this connection when you do hard things with people, right? Yeah. Or you build trust. If, if I'm showing them how to shoot a bow, they inherently will trust what I say. So those type of uh, little triggers help a, a normal conversation because like, well, we went through the fire yesterday together. We did the same. We did this long run. We climbed this mountain. We shot this bow. We, we, you know, pushed our limits in the gym. There's an uh, unspoken connection. Yeah. And that helps my conversation with people. Yeah. Joe doesn't have to do that. I, I do. I don't have to, but I have in my head that it helps me. So that's how it works. It's like we do a, a lifter and shoot, then we do a podcast, two separate things. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and our brand new collaborative product, Orange Drank. The brand new formula and flavor of Gnarly's flagship endurance drink mix, Fuel 2.0, which I've been evangelizing here on the podcast for a couple of years now. Orange Drank comes with a salted orange flavor and appropriately an increased concentration of sodium. You all know I'm a huge electrolyte guy in training, racing, and in daily life. So we decided to reformulate the mix and add a bit more of that salty stuff. I couldn't be happier with the finished product. It's so delicious, but more importantly, it will make you feel like a superhero while you're out getting your shred on. Typical of all the Fuel 2.0 products, Orange Drank also has 560 milligrams of HMB, a metabolite of branched-chain amino acid leucine to help prevent muscle breakdown and reduced post-workout soreness. You get carbs, electrolytes, calories, HMB, hydration. It's everything you need straight from your bottle. Simplicity, one of the main reasons why I've always relied on liquid calories. It's so cool for us to have this product collab out in the world. Orange shoes with Speedland, orange drank with Gnarly. Go pick up a bag today. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. The best gear isn't born in a factory. It's inspired by real people challenging themselves to explore new parts of the world. That's why I love Rourke. Their team pulls design inspiration straight from the cultures and people of new destinations to create durable and comfortable styles that can take you straight from the trail to the coffee shop or the bar trail culture. For over 10 years, Rourke has explored the globe to seek adventure on the road less traveled, and each collection includes a give back because Rourke believes in leaving a positive impact on the places that host their adventures. Trail culture. The latest collection is inspired by a trip through Hokkaido, Japan, featuring Japanese prints and patterns, but free trail listeners will especially love the Rourke Run Amok line. It's functional running gear that goes against traditional activewear styling, so you'll never have to choose between performance and personality. I've been rocking Rourke's Alta 5-inch short, which are stylish and perfect for my long runs. They're super lightweight and even have a water-resistant pocket for my phone. It's a really nice product. Go check it out along with the rest of the Run Amok apparel collection for a limited time. As one of my listeners, you can get 15% off your order, go to Rourke.com, R-O-A-R-K.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Rourke. It makes me want to circle back to what you said at the very beginning about what makes you you and that you've just sort of repeated here of just like your discipline and your work ethic and not being inherently talented, but you can grind and you can suffer. It's something that I very mm -hmm. much 
identify with myself. In fact, I was on somebody else's podcast recently and they turned that question around on me that I always ask everybody, what makes you, you? And I answered in exactly the same way. I'm just good at suffering. And that has been, that's been obviously very valuable in my career as a pro athlete, but it's even more valuable, I think, in building our business too, because we have like a small little media entity too. I'm wondering maybe where that discipline comes from and, and whether or not you've had to flex that muscle in this new entrepreneurial mission as well. You know, d- does that suffering, does that grinding carry over into building something new from scratch now that you're not a nine to five dipshit anymore? It It is. Where I've struggled is, um, and I've, I struggled leading people all the time like this because not everybody's going to want it to the same level you want it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so when this is what, when it motivates me every day and I got, it's like, I have, now I have probably like 10 people that work for me and I've had more. I've like had to make changes because it's really hard for me to be, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've been so used to pushing so hard and I had this problem at my other job too. I mean, I I had never called in sick at any job since I was 19. I had my first job and I've never called in sick in my entire life. So it's like, I have a hard time when people, they call and they like are sounding sick. I don't know if they're like got the acting a little bit, but I just like have the hardest time hearing that. So in regular, in like a business like this, where I'm, it's my thing, man, I'm just like, compassion sometimes i need to really work on compassion I'm it's exactly been the hardest the same thing way. for me exactly the same it's way. Made, it makes it hard for me to not i mean yeah just be more understanding and understand that not everybody's gonna want it want everything like i want it you know what i mean that's been a challenge um but i do have some great people who yeah they're probably not a psycho like me but they get it. They get me. And they know that when I, when I fly off the handle, Oh, that's just cam. (laughs) They know that if we weather the storm, it's going to be good. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, you know, I feel pressure because I left a good job and it's like, I can't really fail. I don't feel like, because I mean, I can't, I'm betting on myself. I I left a job I could have retired at. And it's like, I got to make this work. Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's been hard. I mean, but thank God. I mean, I do have, we're putting out people like to listen and it's not because of me. It's because of the guests, but people like to listen. They like to see the lift run shoot. So it has some momentum and the sponsors have noticed that. And so, I mean, it's, it's been successful. It's It's so funny. I just read Anthony Bourdain's famous book, Kitchen Confidential, where he talks about how anathema it is for chefs and cooks to call in sick and how it's like, was very much a violation of his trust as the executive chef. And I found myself (laughs) nodding along totally. And just like some of, sometimes the hardest part is developing that compassion and understanding that you know, not everybody wants it as bad as you or can suffer as hard as you all the time. So anyway, well, I put that up the other day about some clips, you know, one of the media guys took off here and they made me a reel and it was about that. And then so many people were so upset about 
you know, because I all I said was like, well, the company doesn't care why your client is sick. All they know is that now your work, somebody else has to do, or it's not getting done. So they don't really care about whatever excuse, valid, invalid. It doesn't matter. You're, you're not there. And I was always the guy that, no, I'm going to be here every single time. And when you're that guy, you get other opportunities because whoever your boss is, is like, well, this guy's probably better, but who knows if he's going to be here. Reliable, Cam, dependable. Yeah, Cam, right. And so people are like, well, the company, they replace you in a day after you die. So why would you have that loyalty to them? I'm like, because that's what's going to set me apart. Yeah. And that's why I'm in this position that I don't deserve anyway. Yeah. And that's why I'm sitting right here in a position I don't deserve because I just keep fucking putting in the work. I love so. it, Cam. Keep hammering. All right. So let's talk yeah. about your new shoe and the relationship with Speedland. But first introduce the audience to, to Mount Pisgah because I think this is important and it's in line with our conversation about yeah. suffering. So tell us about Mount Pisgah and, and the suffering you've subjected yourself to on its flanks. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's just a local little mount. It's not even a mound, but it's called Mount Pisgah. I didn't name it, so I, I got to call it a mound. But it's not really a mountain. It's only, um, it's fifteen hundred feet at the top. You start at like four hundred feet, so it's probably um eleven hundred feet again in a mile and a half. Or you can do long loops, like you know I've done with other people up there. But it's just kind of my daily. Like I go, and when I had my normal job, I could run over there at lunch get a thousand feet for lunch on a climb and uh, do like five miles or something and get my workout in. So that's been my go-to cause it's, it was 10 minutes from my job. And so I just still, that's where I take people. There's a monument up top that was, uh, it's a, it's a uh, memorial to Ken Kesey's son, Jed Kesey, who died he was an Oregon wrestler and he died in a car accident, but Ken Kesey wrote one flow of his pee nest. Anyway. And sometimes a great this. notion, two great pieces of American literature. And and of course, uh, sometimes a great notion is a great piece of Oregon literature too. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's that, that local connection to that monument up top there and it's metal and it's cool. And it's just like, that's just a summit marker. Right. So you get up there, everybody knows it now. And uh, that's where I take the guests, you know, unless we go to the real mountains up, up the river, but, uh, it's a, a good, everybody kind of knows it now because I've posted so much about it. So that's been my daily run essentially. And then this Speedland shoe that I'm wearing, I'm wearing it right now, but it's got, I think it's called the P what is it? PGH. Oh, PG, PGH. Yeah. <laughs> so short for Pisca, yeah. it's got a silhouette of me on, on top there on the insole, but yeah, just a cool, it's been good. The Speedline guys, uh, Dave and Kevin are just, you know, they were at Under Armour when I was there. They know all about me. They Yeah, so talk about that get, connection. Like, how did the partnership come to be? Because this is something that I actually don't know. I haven't talked to Dave and Kevin about this personally. So I'd love to hear you talk about, you know, how the opportunity arose and what made you excited to partner with the brand to create your own product. It was, uh, you know, I, I left Under Armour. Um, they had kind of grown or I don't know what, but lost some momentum. Kip left. So the outdoor community or outdoor department division there kind of lost a little momentum, I thought. And uh, they had hired out to like an agency to do their athlete thing. And I'm like, okay, I don't, these guys don't even work in Under Armour. I don't, whatever. Maybe it's time for me to go. Right. Yeah. And it seems like we had peaked in the outdoor and now it seemed like 
once business kind of, I, I'm not saying they're they're struggling, but it's not blowing up like it was. So then, you know, some fat gets cut. That's kind of, I thought maybe the outdoor division is going to be cut. So I'm like, well, maybe it's time for, for me to move on. And they, uh, they did my first keep hammering shoe, which is a, a really good shoe. I liked it, but I was just like, I guess it's time to, to move on. So I left, this was like maybe two years ago now. And I was just like, well, let me see what other shoes are out there. I've only been wearing Under Armour forever. And uh, so I just started wearing all these other shoes and I was testing them out. And, you know, it, it would have been, it's, it's hard. The, the running community is like, oh man, it's so good. But, you know, some small town redneck bow hunter is not like what most trail runners are, right? <laughs> the pretty, pretty green group, liberal green. And I'm, I have no, no problem with that. I love everybody. I mean, yeah. Uh, Courtney seems kind of like a hippie a little bit and I love her. So it's like, does, doesn't really matter to me, but, uh, the guys at Speedland, they're like, Hey, could we get you the, you know, it was your shoe. Yeah. Could we get you some, some of your, well, they sent the other ones too. And I didn't, I'm not, I can't do the, the zero drop or the, whatever those are. Yeah, it's like my body's so beat up. I need cushion. So the first ones, I can't remember what they're called. I didn't really like those, but your shoe was, I loved it. It was the, the orange shoe and the, the, uh, you know, had your logo and stuff on there. And I ran in those. I'm like, um, warm in a race. And I'm like, God dang, these things give good traction. They, uh, you know, they, you know, your feet swell, as you know, on at the end of ultras. And so like the bows are really good for, for loosening the tension. So your feet, you, you know, she's getting tighter in there. It just seemed like perfect shoe. And, uh, I liked everything about it then, but the key is they, they know me, and it was like bow hunting wasn't this, wasn't this elephant in the room that like, God, how are we going to get by this thing? Yeah. And so they were like, no, we, we know what you do and why you do it and, and all about it. And, uh, so that was, they, you know, they accepted me for who I am, I guess is how you, it's yeah. the, the good way to, to say it. And they said, I said, yeah, I like the shoe. Cause I, I ran in yours and I, and, uh, and, you know, they asked if I wanted to come up with a, um, uh, what do they call that? Uh, a new not commission. The collaboration. The commission. Yeah, yeah. The commission. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And you know, the blood thing was like a little, I, I, I know that even some, some people don't, didn't really get the blood thing. It's like, Oh, yeah, so, so talk harder. about that. I want, I wanted you to expand on that because I, I think it's <laughs> yeah. important, you know, what, it, what it represents. So, you know, the philosophy behind it, I think is relevant to yeah. people, especially as it well, pertains to a lot of domains of life. Yeah, it's uh, you know, if you didn't hear the explanation, it'd be like, oh, is this because he murders animals and that's blood from murdering stuff? And it's like that's not that, that has nothing to do with it. I used to have this column talking about bow hunting, and a very popular bow magazine that I called it. It was the name of the column was Bleed, and Bleed was mean. Sometimes you got to bleed to achieve your goals, right? It's going to take a little blood. It's like you know whether it's blisters, whether it's just fighting through brush, whether it's you know falling and and picking yourself up and having some blood coming out somewhere, sometimes you're going to have to bleed to do it. Right. And so that was what, that's all the symbolism of the shoe means is that that, that blood is a symbol of sacrifice to me that I've been in a lot of races. I've been on a lot of hunts where at the end of it, my own blood is what's been spilled and that's okay. That's sometimes that's what it takes. If the goal is lofty enough and hard enough, 
you might have to bleed to get it done. So that's what the blood on the shoe represents is just sacrifice. Yeah, I love it. So as we wind down here, Cam, it makes me want to ask you about lift, run, shoot. And I love how you also have t-shirts that say must be nice. And it sort of goes back to our conversation about just discipline, hard work, showing up, but just sort of like the value of ritual and routine and consistency in life. I'd love to hear you just kind of contemplate that here publicly before we wind down and and how it pertains um, to this lift, run, shoot lifestyle that you have. Well, the lift run shoot is just, it's just uh, a discipline. It's like, that's what I, I feel like I have to do every day. I have to put in that work if I'm going to continue to, to hold this position. I don't know what this position is it's kind of a position of um, influence, I guess, even though we don't want to say influencer, but it is a, it's a position that people would like to take from me. I mean, cause it's, you, you I have an opportunity for this. So if I think, think about the shoe, even like and you, if if I was a a badass runner, say an Olympic level runner, they don't have their own shoe. Yeah. So part of me is like, I don't freaking deserve my own shoe, <laughs> right? And if I was them, I'd be like, who is this? Guy? What he's got his own shoe? Why? What the hell has he done? And, you know, you saw my my ultra running sign up or whatever thing. It's like been okay. It's like not winning a bunch of ultras. My I I did beat Craig Thornley one time in a 10 mile run. That's been my, I won this race. We had this endurance weekend up in Oak Ridge. And it was like a five mile straight up. That was one race. Five miles straight down is another race, a 10 mile loop that somehow I won, but I think he got second. So it was like that day I ran good. And then a 50 K, which I got lost and ran like five miles further. But anyway, um, I'm not like this. I'm not an elite ultra runner. I I do okay for a regular person, right? So if I was a pro, I'd be like, why the fuck does this guy have his own shoe? What, what is this about? So to me, if I'm going to be in this position, man, I got to put in work mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that separated me. It, it hasn't been my achievements. I didn't go to the Olympic games. I don't have, I didn't qualify for the Olympic trials. So what the hell I got to work? I got to be the most disciplined person that people know. And I've always said, if you're not the hardest working person, you know, you're not working hard enough. Uh. I have to outwork everybody. And that's where I have a little issue with Courtney because she probably out, outworks my ass and she won't even say how many miles she runs, I but know. I know it's a lot. <laughs> I know. I did. I mean, I'll be like trying to trick her into telling me. And I think, I seriously think she runs 150 miles a week, yeah. but She'll, she'll say like a hundred or some, something like just a little more palatable for yeah, people, yeah, but right. I think she, she puts in a bunch of work. And so, um, I have some, I have some catching up to do there, yeah. but my, my premise is lift, run, shoot. I got to work every day. If I'm going to, if I'm going to reap there's these rewards that I've been given, um, I got to earn it. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it's about. I so identify with that too. You know, one of the themes of this conversation now is just sort of like, feeling like you don't deserve things or being fearful of Mm -hmm. losing things. And I very much feel like that myself with everything. But you had, you did good at at hard rock, didn't you? I mean, a couple of years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kicked ass there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had, I had a good career, but like you, you know, I've never been a talented athlete. I always just worked hard. I was consistent. 
I did the little things. Similarly now with free trail, you know, I feel like we've had so many headwinds, bootstrapped the business, spent my life savings on it to try and make it a thing. And like, I can't fail, you know, and I'm afraid of failing. And that's why, you know, you gotta, you gotta grind every day. Cam, it's been so fun to talk to you, buddy. It's is amazing. Oh. I, I hope to get you to, I, I hope to convince you to come run our race in Oregon in the spring and gorge waterfalls, but we can oh, talk about yeah. that later. But um, that looks like a tough one. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. It'll prepare you for a nice uh, late spring hunt at some point. But anyway, we'll, we well, can talk about that some other time. I have a traditional closing question that I ask everybody yeah. here too, Cam, and that is just who is one person that you admire can be inside or outside of sport living or dead and why is it that you admire that person um i mean you know like i said maybe i could list two but roy uh he's not with us anymore but man again i wouldn't be here without him without his influence without his guidance um you know i just made a lot of a lot of mistakes in life i uh i don't know I needed somebody like him to keep me on track and to, and to believe in me. Cause I always felt like, you know, I was against everybody, but he was the one guy who I, I didn't have to be against. And it's, it's been hard without him, but, uh, man, we had a good, definitely a good run. I, I miss him every day, but, uh, he's been, he's been one. And then I know we talked about her a lot, but Courtney's like just the way she, I don't know. It's just, it's so incredible to see what she can do. And, uh, I feel sometimes I get worried cause she pushes so hard. I've seen her push really hard. Like when she was doing that Colorado trail and I get, I do get worried that she pushes so damn hard, but it's like, how can you not respect, mm. um, somebody who gives absolutely everything they have to a- achieve whatever goal it is and to do things that's never been done in history. So, um, I, her work ethic and her attitude about it. And, uh, you know, I wish she wasn't so humble. I'd love to see her talk a little shit up there, talk some <laughs> smack, but. Or at least she's, just like, she's, tell us how, why, what makes you so good. But you know, that's, some things know. are better left secret, I guess. She'll tell us when she retires. He doesn't need to reveal. I that doubt stuff. it. I doubt if she will, but yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'd, I'd say her, she, she motivates me a lot these days. Sweet. Well, Cam, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Congratulations on the release of the new shoe. Any big uh, projects coming up? Are you doing Moab 240 this weekend or any big hunts coming up? <laughs> no, I'm a little banged up. I just got back from, you know, a whole month of hunting and yeah. packing meat and being in the mountains. So I'm a little bit banged up. I've just been doing a massage and a little bit easy runs. But uh, yeah, I'm always... I don't have a, a race planned. I don't think it, there's one, there's a race here called the frozen trail ultra on mm. Pisgah. I usually do that in December. Uh, Goggins came out and did that with me one time, nice. but that's probably the only thing I'll be doing coming up. Uh, just trying to heal up a little bit. Sweet. How about you? No plans, buddy. No plans. You no? Know, I'm also in a recovery phase, but, um, Anyway, yeah, you know, I'm trying to build back myself. So I'm going to consume some of your podcasts to get myself inspired to get the, <laughs> get the discipline and get the hard work going again. But anyway, Cam, appreciate you for coming on the show and hope we can catch up again soon. Uh, thank you, Dylan. I appreciate you too.
Thanks so much to Cam. What a cool dude. I loved how he was so open about how he feels like he doesn't deserve all the success that he's had. So he gets up and keeps hammering every single day. A normal guy with an extraordinary work ethic. What a great lesson. Make sure you check out the show notes for links and things that we talked about. Cam Shoe, the GSPGH. Make sure you use Free Trail 10. I link to the Lift Run Shoot video that he made with Courtney DeWalter and the podcast he recorded with Courtney too. So make sure you go check out all that stuff. Free Trail Pro members, please do let me know what you thought. Jump in Slack, share your feedback. I always love hearing your favorite moments and takeaways. And for those who aren't members, you really should be. Visit freetrail.com. Click the link that says join Free Trail Pro. We would love to have you. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year. Finally, a big thank you to our sponsor, Speedland. Run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GSPGH. Gnarly Nutrition. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off the orange drink. Ketone IQ, get 30% off your first subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash freetrail30. And finally, Rourke Apparel, Rourke.com, use code freetrail15 off their great trail apparel. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you again very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.